What's happening, guys? Happy Friday. Thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Well, guys, I've been talking your ears off about John Jones and when he might come back. And the moment is finally here. UFC 285 is upon us and coming up on today's program. I'll talk about the main event and all its storylines, the heavyweight division, and everything else that is going on in one of the most loaded cards in recent memory. Lots to get to. Let's waste no time and get into it here. We got a chubby John Jones. What do you make of it? Now, what do you make of it? And what did you expect? And that's a little bit of an interesting question because I was expecting a shredded John Jones that would speak to the vanity of John Jones. And I would come out and I would talk to you guys about this as though that was negative while keeping my own secret inside, which is... If I was to put myself in John's shoes, which is the most golden rule of life, I would definitely want to look good when I took my shirt off at my new weight class. So predicting that John Jones was going to look pretty shredded, he was going to look like Stipe on his way to looking like Francis, something along these lines, more than he looks like his brothers Arthur and Chandler, that would have been a reasonable guess. Because it's what I would have wanted to done. And I can just tell you, it is nearly impossible to just put on muscle unless you use an anabolic steroid. Now, I've made this case before, and I had two people push back. Two people who I think are friends of mine pushed back. They said, that's not true. Coach Greg and Derek, more plates, more dates, both said a man over the age of 30 who wants to put on 30 pounds of muscle can do it without an anabolic agent if he trains correctly. And I pushed back and said, you've never seen one. I, I, I realize the science. I don't know why guys in the expert, I don't know why guys in, in physiology continue to tell about uh, unicorns that they've never seen, but they do cling to the idea that it can be done. And I pushed back a step further of reality and just said, show me one, just one. You've been at this your whole life, and it doesn't have to be a guy that you took and you trained. It can be a guy that you observed. It can be somebody else took him and somebody else trained him. You just happened to see it. And you show me a guy that put on 30 pounds of solid muscle. Not he put on the muscle after he put on the fat, then he went through a lean phase and he took the fat off. He put on solid muscle, and this is what I have claimed. Now, I would take it either way when you're 35 and over, whether it was solid 30 pounds of muscle or it was muscle and fat, and then you got rid of the fat, and there you have with the muscles. And you might think that you're splitting hairs there. I'm just sharing for you. It's a very difficult thing to do unless you're using an anabolic because ultimately when you're dealing with weight, it is calories in to calories out. And you'll meet the real jerks there that want to talk to you about macros, and they want to talk to you uh, about a carb. But they're going to tell you about a super carb from a broken down carb. They're going to tell you about the great carbs of a sweet potato versus the terrible carbs of cane sugar, right? It's, it's going to be one of these annoying and redundant conversations that you hear repeatedly. But when John Jones was going through it, a guy that we know is not against using steroids and the coach that he brings in and tells the world is full of steroids, you at least reasonably are going to wonder. That's all. Not an accusation. You're reasonably going to wonder. And John did a very good job of keeping this from us. And just recently, John came out. And by recently, I mean a week ago. A week ago, John came out 
and he talked about the steroid head coach that got on a plane and flew out there with him, and he told him what the steroid head coach secret was, and the secret was to eat, that you eat and eat, and when you're done, you eat some more. Well, that, that is, that's it, boom. If you want to gain weight, that's it. Now, that's not all going to be lean weight. You cannot just gain muscle. No matter how many magazines tell you you can, no matter how many shelves you walk through at GNC that promises you it's going to be just like muscle and you're, you're just going to look like this guy, Paul Orndorff. That's just physiology. It's not the way that it happens. So as John gets closer to the reveal, and John told us I need to be 240 pounds or I'm not going to do this. John came out on Instagram well over a year ago at 242 pounds. Now, he didn't show himself on the scale. He just posted the picture through his Instagram, and he showed the number of somebody on a scale. So we assumed that it was John. But when the fight finally got signed, John said, I'm not going to tell you what I weigh. Because I'm not going to tell my opponent what I weigh. I'm going to let that be a surprise for my opponent at the weigh-in. I thought that was great. That had me interested. I don't know Surreal Gone well enough to know if that would be a head game. I can tell you if it was me as the opponent, I could not possibly care less. But I was unique in that regard. I fought for six world championships. I don't know of the 51 men I fought who was a southpaw and who wasn't. I was never told before the fight. I didn't know the difference in the fight and I don't know now. That's that's weird. Actually, that's not a cool thing. That's a very weird and unique thing, but my eyes work differently. My depth perception works differently. I'm color, but it, 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 does, it just doesn't make a difference in my day. In John Jones's day, apparently it would matter, right? All you can do is look at yourself and judge how would I deal with the situation. So John, not knowing if a guy was going to come in at 240, come in at 225, or come in at 267, that would really mess with his mind. So he decided that he was going to do that to Surreal God. I liked it. Now, here we are. On the eve of the weigh-in, and there's a report out that John weighs 267 pounds. We have not seen John's weight. We have not seen him on the scale. 267 would surprise me. Surprise me just the dedication and hard work that it would take to get there surprises me. I don't know that it's possessed within John Jones. So if he did get to 267, I'm, I'm not giving him a hard time right now. If he got to I'm I'm preemptively giving him praise. But I'm also telling you, I don't think so. I think he's going to be closer to 240. I will tell you my initial impression. When John Jones told the world, I'm out. Take my belt back. Don't pay me any money. Managers release me. Anybody I'm doing business with, cut me because we got no business that's going to be done. Sponsors, thank you, F you, and goodbye. When John Jones did that, all to try to gain weight. Said he was trying to get to 240. And at the time that he said it, he weighed about 225. A clean John Jones, without the picograms, is only about 218 in training. An in-training John Jones. An out-of-training John Jones, about 224. And a John Jones out-of-training with the picograms, about 228. So these are the numbers that I have inside information of. And I know that 228, he wants to get to 240. We're talking about 12 pounds. But to get there the right way is going to be a colossal amount of work. To get there and surpass it all the way up to 267, I would be stunned. But if he did, then I will preemptively give him his praise. 
that dedication and that commitment and why he chose that number. And then you are going to have the final question, which is where is the cardio? There's nothing in life that isn't a trade, right? But there's nothing in sport that more obviously you're making a trade between strength and cardio. If you can bench press 500 pounds, you cannot run a five-minute mile, and you won't get anybody to prove that wrong. Nobody will say, well, Shale, I'm actually the one person. Here's my 500 pounds, and here's my five-minute mile. It's, it, it's a trade. For that strength, you needed some size, and with that size, it slowed you down and hurt your cardio. Stop that mile time. Perfect example. So if John did weigh close to 267, if he really did, what would we expect from the match? The coaches that have worked with him have all talked about the incredible increase in power. Now, again, it's all comparative, right? How hard do I hit? Is it harder than you? How hard does he hit? Is it harder than him? It's all comparative. I would suspect a mitt coach that's used to catching for John that weighed 228 is going to feel a little more zing on that mitt for a John that weighs 240. I would suspect that. That would make perfect reason to me. And the same would go for the John that weighs 267. So I've never been clear from those coaches. Is he getting to that mitt as fast? Are those combinations just as fast or are they only more powerful? And moreover, if you're doing mitts for 15 or 20 minute sessions, is he still doing 15 or 20 minute sessions or is he stopping at seven to nine minutes? I don't have those answers. It's a special guy. That's a, a, a abnormally large amount of weight to gain. When you understand that weight gain is about calories in to calories out, if we stop training full bore, if we stop the morning runs, if we stop trying to get up that hill, if we stop trying to come up that rope, if we stop something, if we can shut our body down from burning too much energy while we're gorging, we can gain weight. But it's just the reality of why it's a trade. It's quite literally a trade. If you want to be big and have size, you're not going to have that endurance, and it's something that John has always counted on. I don't know that I buy the rumor of 267. I think that 240 was a very good goal. And when John came out and refused to tell us the weight, I never once thought, well, he's gone above it. My thought was he fell short of his goal. He got to 240. He signed the contract. His coaches stepped in. They upped the training. The upping of the training burned more calories than he wanted to, dropped the overall weight. So if I was to guess, in the face of the rumor that John is going to weigh in tomorrow morning between 9 and 11 a.m. at 267 pounds, no. And if I was to guess, is he going to be right around 240? Yes. Will he be north of 240 or south of 240? If we just put that as the bar, I personally am going to take the under. Daniel Cormier weighed in, and all he had to say about John Jones is the guy doesn't hit very hard. Now, before you think that sour grapes, or you think that that was Daniel trying to be negative, not, not at all. You'd be misconstrued. That was one statement, but in the, in the larger scheme, Daniel said, oh man, this guy does everything great. 
So his elbows actually hurt really bad. His kicks hurt really bad. His knees hurt really bad, but the punches don't hurt. There's not a lot of power. There's not a lot of thudding power. He uses those hands, in my experience, Daniel talking, to then set up the other strikes. Okay. I bring this to you guys because this is an interesting match. It really is an interesting match. I mean, how we even got here is interesting. How we decided... A guy who's never been in the division, hasn't done anything for three years, is our number one contender. In all fairs, but that, that's interesting. How we decided that his opponent is a guy that's one and one in his last two. I'm, just, I'm sharing for you that's interesting, but I don't, I don't say that it's wrong. No other heavyweight says that it's wrong. No other heavyweight has raised their hand or raised their voice to say that match should not be taking place. It shouldn't be a main event or it shouldn't be for our world title. So I most certainly am not either. I just share for you it's an interesting match. How is John going to beat him? It would seem like John's going to go and take him down. Now, I will tell you, here, here's the one problem. You've heard many fighters say the last thing to go is our power. Now, I, I feel as though I could digress and talk about that at great length. I don't personally think that that's true. I don't think that's ever been true. I don't think that we have any evidence of that. I think it's something that an old aging fighter who's got nothing else, he's even got a bad hip, just wants the world to say when they say, oh, hey, careful, I still got that power. I don't think it's true. But I will acknowledge that it is a narrative and a phenomenon that is out there. Whether it's accurate or not, I will show you the other side of the coin and I will maintain it is absolutely true. If that's the last thing to go is your power, the very first thing to go is your wrestling. The first thing that you will not be able to do in combat if you are not sharp, if you are not practicing it, if you are not active, if you are not competing, the very first thing you will lose the ability to do is to take the other guy down. And it's a, it's a really big deal in this match. I do accept unworldly physical prowess from John Jones. I accept it. He's got it. But there's a human being in there somewhere. And there's a tipping point at some point. We just don't know where it is, and we don't know if it's already come. So just in the world of realisticness, we can expect John's takedown to be less than what it was. And John's takedown over the years is one thing that started to get rusty. When John was losing the fight to Dominic Reyes, when he knew mathematically he was behind, when he had a sense of urgency and John's got a big heart, boy, he hangs on to that belt. I will give that to him. He's got grit. But when he saw his back up against the wall, he did not turn to the takedown. It was not as though the takedown failed him. He didn't even attempt the takedown. He knew it's not there. If you back up in the Santos fight, when John's back was against the wall, when he knew the fight wasn't going the way that he wanted and he had a sense of urgency, he did not get the takedown, but he didn't even attempt it. His takedown had gotten so rusty that he was aware of it and he was aware enough to it that when he had an urgency, he didn't even waste any energy acting as though he's going to do it. I think that's a very important observation that I'm making. In fact, I think of, of all the analysts that you've heard speaking about this fight, what I just said right there is the single most important thing you're going to hear. It's very important because I'm not taking 
An ability away from John, I'm taking one tactic away, and I'm offering you evidence as proof that that weapon is not sharp and it's not usable. So if you have a national champion in John, taking a guy that's never had a wrestling match in Surreal, but then you go and you look at their last fights and you realize Surreal's not very good at stopping takedowns, but boy, John isn't offering very many anymore. It will lead you to then ask yourself, how could they do on their feet? If this was just a stand-up fight, how would they do on their feet? I don't think of John Jones as a kickboxer. When I talk about John behind his back, I refer to him as a trick boxer. John is so dynamic. He will make you guess at such incredible lengths. He will show you his foot to hit you with his elbow. He will look like he's reaching for your leg and he'll spin and hit you with his elbow. It's unbelievable. He will switch from orthodox to southpaw. And he doesn't have to do a lot of the head movement. He doesn't have to. He's so far back, he can just hold his hand up like a cartoon. They do this in cartoons where the big brother will hold his hand up and the little brother, I mean, he's getting a head full of steam and the dust is coming, but he can't gain any ground because big brother's arm's too long. John will actually do that. When John wants distance, he'll just put his hand straight. So it's an incredible thing. You don't watch him, right? Mike Tyson doesn't watch him and see what he's doing with the bobbing and weaving. Floyd Mayweather doesn't understand what he's doing with the pulse because he doesn't do him. He just puts his hand out. It's very different. But he has the longest reach in the UFC. He's the only guy that can do it. Therefore, he's the only guy that does do it. But it still begs the question, does he have the power and does he have the speed? Surreal gone for a heavyweight looks to be pretty quick to me. You want to know somebody's stand-up ability that I really respect? I respect it. Go, ooh, God, that's going to be painful for the other guy. Junior Dos Santos. Junior Dos Santos on his feet doesn't do a lot of kicks, doesn't do a lot of them. Boy, those hands, boy, that uppercut of Junior Dos Santos. It's as good a boxing as the heavyweight division has seen. I just go back. I was there live the night Surreal and Junior fought. It was all a stand-up fight. It didn't last very long, and it didn't go Junior's way. Surreal Gone is a very good, crafty guy on his feet. If he has a fear of the takedown, like he did against Francis Ngannou, it will slow him. Did he learn enough in that match with Francis Ngannou to understand that being scared of a takedown is going to paralyze your striking? Did he learn enough to do that, to not go out and repeat it? I don't know, guys. I don't know. I have never in my life picked against John Jones. And if I ever did publicly, like if you go, ah, Chael, I've I've heard you do it. If I ever did it publicly, it wasn't sincere. I don't think I've done it. I think I've only spoken sincere. But if you have a time where I picked against John Jones, I'll tell you right now, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. I didn't think anybody could beat him. I'm just fully aware that his takedown and his wrestling as impressive as that is, is gone. I will remind you, it's been gone for a while, and his kickboxing has been so good that not only has he won championships and defended championships, he's even dealt with adversity and came back from defeat. So many people think John's greatest attribute is his wrestling. Well, in a couple of fights where he was back was against the wall and he had to turn to one tactic, he did not turn to wrestling. That's how good his kickboxing is. Is that good enough to deal with a guy who appears to be pretty fast and can move pretty well, who was a professional kickboxer at an elite level and surreal gone?
it's really what's on display. And one thing that we're not good at knowing is striking, guys. We like to pretend that we know, but we don't. We got reminded over the weekend, in an embarrassing fashion, how little we actually know about striking, in the form of Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury. That's where we had to get reminded that we really don't know. Your biggest boxing fans never actually boxed. Your biggest boxing commentators never actually did it. They never actually went in the gym. They don't actually know what beat is, what rhythm is, what a one-two is, why a three is important, why you come with an uppercut. They, they don't actually know. They don't know where the liver is as opposed to the spleen. They don't actually know. They say it, they say it with confidence, and they talk about striking. They talk about that they knew, and their dad used to do it, and their granddad was in the Golden Gloves one time, but they don't actually know. Striking's a very complex thing. We don't see a whole lot of it. So when I watch John Jones, I watch one of the great trick boxers to ever do combat. When I look at Surreal Gone and I realize that he had a professional kickboxing record of 27-2, and two, which is a lot like Adesanya's, I say, okay, but is that a real sport? If your sport is real and you can stop the takedown, then you should beat John Jones. It's not complicated, but in all the years and in all the time and in all the matches, the credibility of boxing and the credibility of kickboxing remains unknown. John Jones just went live takedowns with Bo Nickel. Practice area at a UFC. Do I have your interest? Now, do you want to know who won? Do you want to know how those went? Let me reset the stage. Bo Nickel, who's getting an open workout, he's got to make weight. He's pretty close. He doesn't have to shed a whole bunch of pounds, but he's got to pay attention to the scale. John Jones does not have to pay any attention to the scale. Just wants to get the blood moving, as they say. Just wants to bounce around. You know, you have a flight in. You want to get that jet lag. You want to get that flight off of you. It doesn't matter how short the flight is. Really important that you go and break a sweat. It's something along these lines. You got your team. Sometimes your team didn't come in. Sometimes your team came in. Your team's a flake. Sometimes your team's flaker. They come into a town such as Las Vegas, and then they go and get distracted. You end up in the practice room yourself. Whatever happened in this situation, these two were there at the same time. Now, as wrestling brethren, they go find each other. I must tell you, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And one thing the wrestling community has not done a great job of is acknowledging John Jones as their own. One thing that John Jones has done a good job of is acknowledging himself as a representative of the wrestling community. And I got to bring that to you. I got all sorts of heat with John Jones. But on that one, he's been very consistent and he's been a, a gentleman. And he's been very proud of his sport, which is wrestling. And the story of John and why his wrestling stopped when it did has never really been told. It's about John Jones, who was a junior college wrestler. Yeah, sure, he was the national champion. Yeah, sure, he was undefeated. Sure, he was great. Sure, he signed a full-ride scholarship with Cale Sanderson. But he was a junior college wrestler. That's the end of it. And Daniel Cormier over here was an Olympian twice. That's the way the story's always been told. And that is a true story. But John was never forced to stop wrestling, just so you understand, nobody ever is. 
Neither was Daniel Cormier after he made those two Olympic teams. He decided that's enough wrestling. And he decided I'm going to go on and I'm going to move to the mixed martial arts. John Jones had that exact same revelation. He just had it after two years of college. That's it. There's no difference. And John decided, as opposed to pursuing World and Olympic Games, I am going to go into MMA and I'm going to pursue the world champ over there, world championship over there in the 205 pound division. So John has a great honor and a great association with. And I thought Jones, I thought John came from Arizona. No, no, I don't think that. New York. John is a New York state champion. People think Albuquerque. They think New Mexico. That's not true. John Dotson was out of there. Carlos Condit came through that state. Joseph Benavides was a champion out there. In fact, Benavides had John Dotson in the finals. Do you guys know the story of that match? Interesting one. Look that up sometime. Point being, when John gets in the back and he sees a guy like Bo Nichols, a four-time finalist, university world champion, Olympic alternate, and he's got three gold medals from the Division I tournament, he probably goes over and says hello. And the way wrestlers tend to say hello to one another is they go up and grab one another. They never go out with a handshake, which is customary in wrestling, both before and after the match. But that's, that's just not how they greet. A, a wrestler doesn't greet another wrestler. If it's from a foreign country and they don't speak the same language, one wrestler will walk up to the other wrestler and grab his ear. Yeah, he's got a cauliflower, and then he'll point to his own ear and go, look, me too. That was a mistake, Mike Whitehead. You guys remember that name? You guys remember Mike Whitehead? We were in Abu Dhabi. I believe the year was 2003, but we were in Abu Dhabi, which took place in Brazil. It was Abu Dhabi, but they did it in Sao Paulo. Mike Whitehead decides to go out. He sees a group of guys. He's by himself. He wants to make friends. So he walks up to one of the guys who has cauliflower ear, and Mike grabs his ear. When the guy looks at him real fierce, Mike points at himself and says, yeah, I got one too. The guy said, oh yeah, and the guy took a 9 millimeter out and put it right in between Mike Whitehead's eyes. Apparently, he did not care that you have a cauliflower ear. Apparently, the cauliflower ear was a very macho and tough thing. So the fact that Mike came up one, touched his, but two pointed to his own. The guy thought he was being threatened. Now, I'm just attempting to tell you an interesting story at this point. Let's get back to the takedowns of John Jones and Bo Nickel. Now, I wasn't there. And had I been there, you would not be brought in on this. Nobody would be. I would never hear about this. If John Jones got some takedowns on Bo Nickel, John Jones weighing what he weighs and understanding wrestling MMA, at least in theory, much better than Bo Nickel, who is debuting, would, it wouldn't be much of a story to me. It really wouldn't be much of a story. But if Bo Nickel was to get the best of John Jones, particularly the biggest John Jones we've ever seen, and particularly I would think that Bo Nickel, as successful of, uh, of a name as that is, I would think he's got his hat in his hand to a degree. I would think that Bo's walking around backstage at the UFC, walking around the PI, walking around the grounds and the properties, a little bit like a kid in a candy store, a little bit starstruck, a little bit surprised that uh, John knew who he was, and even more surprised that John's coming over, wants to get a couple of ligos. That's what I would think. 
Now we heard the story of how this went because we heard it from Bo. Bo told her, Bo said he came up and he challenged me and we wrestled. And it went the way that it should have gone. Considering I've lost one wrestling match out of four trips to the finals and I got a world title in wrestling. It went the way it should have gone. Okay, fair enough. You have my interest. I can't dispute that. I can't dispute the Bo should have got the takedowns, but I wondered how many they went. And I wondered if John went hard in the first one or if John was trying to warm up. And I'm wondering after the second one, if John started to get pissed off and went real hard for the third one, Bo had to work even hard. Like, I, I do still want to know how that workout went. I've seen many people try to get the best of John Jones. I have seen Olympic wrestlers try to get the best of John Jones in MMA. But I've seen Olympic wrestlers try to get the best of John Jones in pure grappling as well. I personally have never seen John Jones get beat. Not in the ring, not in the practice room. I haven't seen it. It sounds like it happened. I wish I'd have seen it. I appreciate hearing the story, but if anybody's got more details than that, by all means, add on. Do you know how much your subscriptions cost? Most Americans think they spend around $80 a month on subscriptions when the actual total is closer to $200. And if you don't know exactly how much you're spending every month, you need Rocket Money. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that reads and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Over 80% of people have subscriptions they forget about. Like that streaming service you bought to watch just one show and you completely forgot to cancel after the series was over. I can't tell you guys how many times I've done that over the years. It's the most annoying thing to find monthly payments to a service I haven't used in months, even years. Rocket Money. Help me to quickly and easily identify and cancel all of my unused subscriptions in only a few clicks. They did all the legwork for me. No more long hold times or awkward conversations with customer service. Rocket Money made canceling my unused subscriptions so easy. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving the average person up to $720 a year. Stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash chael. That's rocketmoney.com slash chael, rocketmoney.com slash chael. I have about had it with Francis Angano. I, I really have. I'm about done. And the thing that is angering me with Francis is he is such a gentleman. And I do not say this to be funny. I don't say this as a backhanded compliment. It's irritating. It's been irritating for some time. One very helpful thing, if you're in a role like mine, is to have a nemesis. It's a very important thing that you have that somebody that does not like you and is willing to tell the world they don't and you to not like them back with the same courage to come and tell the world. It's a very helpful thing. You can't manufacture it, though. 
Whether I like it or not, I'm a very charming and endearing guy, and most people do appreciate me as opposed to the other side, so I've got to seek it out at times. But I've done everything that I could do to get a little heat going with Francis. Not only can I not get it in my own accord, he has chosen to not be irritated by the words of Chael directly. I can't even insert myself somewhere else because everywhere I turn, Francis is being a gentleman. It's one thing when this whole fight started, I did not see. I must tell you, I observed it very early on, but I just didn't think it would hold. I didn't think the guy in the nice suit, I didn't think the guy with the nice smile, I didn't think the big scary guy with all the muscles with the nice calm voice, I didn't think the guy that wasn't getting his way in a negotiation, watching the world go around him, who never made threats, he never used profanity, he never even screamed at anybody. He stayed very calm, said that he wanted more, wasn't crystal clear on what more was, said he wanted to do something different, wasn't crystal clear on what different was. But he was polite the whole time. And Francis came out. And this is damn near where I threw my hands up. I was on an airplane last night, right? I've been in New York with Ariel and, and Andrew Schultz. What a pleasure, both of those guys. What a pleasure that was. And we were building, uh, we were building up some hype, if you will, for the kickoff of Bellator MMA. They're getting ready to do this lightweight Grand Prix. They're going to kick that off on March 10th. And in the opening round, the quarterfinal mount is actually going to be for the world championship because Nurmagomedov's bringing it opposite Benson Henderson. And we're going out, we're telling everybody it's going to be on Showtime, right? I realize I just give the plug for it, but I'm sharing like that's what we were doing, going around town and doing this. Flying home, a little bit of delay because of snow. And I'm going to be on an airplane for about seven and a half hours. Airplane for seven and a half hours for a guy my size is a highly uncomfortable situation. And I'm trying to pass the time by reading the dirt sheets. And Francis Ngannou weighed in on John Jones. Now, Francis versus John. Come on, right? We'll do this over here sometimes. Where there'll be a fight so big that we'll say that's the biggest fight that our industry can make. And a lot of times that's a co-promote. I mean, a lot of times that's Fedor versus Brock Lesnar. And we, we just don't know how we're going to get Fedor over here versus Brock. But we realize that that's the match to make just to offer you an example. A number of years ago, we talked about it very openly, the biggest fight our industry could make, and it would have been George Masvidal versus Conor McGregor. Right, The time, the time has now changed, but I'm offering you an example that John Jones versus Francis Ngannou still and right now appears to be the largest fight that our industry could put together. And Francis weighed in on it, and Francis said, I do not dislike John. John has multiple personalities, so I don't always know which one I'm dealing with. But of all of his different personalities, I actually like all of them. This was so disappointing for me. This was, this was, this was a knife going into the, fa the fan part of my heart. I just got a knife put in it. I love that he called him multiple personalities. I love that it's accurate, right? See, that's where it's not trash talk. You're insulting a guy, you're talking some trash, but you're not making it up. John's got a lot of personalities, right? He's got, it, it really kind of depends on the mood that he's in. Francis called this out. There's not a lot of people that can do anything about it. John, you don't like his personalities. What are you going to do about it? Many men have tried to stop and change John. Those many men came up short. Francis might be the one 
that could give him an attitude adjustment on the top of his head. But he's not irritated by him. As a matter of fact, he said that he and John could have been on the same side. He didn't elaborate what that side was. I feel as though I can guess and I feel as that you guys know. But this nice gentleman, Francis, I thought it was an act. I thought it would wear down. I thought he was getting it right for a period of time, but eventually it's going to backfire. Eventually he's going to break out. He's going to lash out. He's going to have enough. He's going to have heard enough things from people like me talking about him behind his back that he's going to break, but he never did. He stayed polite. Everybody seems to like him. I don't know that Tyson Fury has somebody that can make up a sport and come up with some money and get them together, but I do know that Tyson would like to do that with him, and the same thing goes on with Deontay Wilder. I know that Deontay Wilder has the backing and has support, has the loyalty within this industry to get somebody to take a chance on him, but I know that Deontay would like, if he had that opportunity, to share it with Francis. And I think that these guys not only see... A massive feather in the cap if you can be one of the few men alive to deal with Francis Ngannou in unarmed combat and come out on top. But moreover, I think that they like him. Because he's a gentleman. It makes it very hard for me to cover him. But that might just be the case. We might just have a really nice guy here that wants to go and try something else that isn't MMA. We can band together to try to stop him or we can tell the really nice guy... Good luck. Sergey Pavlich. Guys, am I close? And this is a big deal. Because when I make a suggestion, there's a lot of arrogance on this. But I'm telling you the truth. When I make a suggestion in this sport and it does not get taken, that's very rare. But it pisses me off. And I will come out and I will make it again. And I will make it a third time. And now it becomes a personal problem. The person in charge of the department that is either not heard or does not agree with my opinion to the point that they inserted it, just created an enemy. Is that unfair? Is that childish? Maybe. Maybe, but I've been at this a long time and I haven't been wrong yet. Not once. And most people will view me that way. I will get calls from the top promoters, from the top of the production, from the top executives, and they will tell me, and they will thank me, and they will ask me if they could have it. And a lot of times they will even credit me. A lot of times you'll even be watching the credits and you get this little thing to chail down there. And I, I only bring this to you because I have suggested as best that I know how that they rethink the lack of marketing that they put on the backup fighter. I think it's an incredible position. I am willing to be wrong, by the way. It'd be an experiment. If they came out and they gave a full push to the backup fighter, in this case, Sergey Pavlich, and it backfired. It took away from the main event. It confused the audience. It upset ticket holders, if you will, because they were confused and thought they were going to see Sergey. I'd stand down. I just don't think that would happen. I think a guy would get shined up. 
I think that you would get more media, more towards you. I think you would get more of a what if. I don't know if there's anything better in promotion, anything better in storytelling than speculation, and nothing creates a speculation like having a guy creating a what if I go in moment. And then think of a guy like me, right? If you're putting on pay-per-views, you are counting on a guy like me to come out and tell the story. Well, think of how easy my job would be. I'd be giving you guys full eight-minute breakdowns. I'll get my partners over at DraftKings worked in it. We'll come up with a line if Sergi is to face John Jones. But we'll come up with a line if Pavlovich is to go in against Surreal Gone as well. We will have dialogue and speculation and banter back and forth nonstop. But they don't want to do that. My guess is they just don't want to offer confusion. I can understand that. Again, it would be an experiment. Uh, it could be wrong. We just have to see it one time. Sergey Pavlovich has been announced as the backup fighter. That in of itself, I appreciate. I appreciate it because we've had backup fighters that they never told us about. I was at Madison Square Garden when Vincent Luque came through the curtain. Now, he ends up missing weight, but he came through the curtain for Kamara Usman, Colby Covington, part two. Had we known that he was coming, had we known he was the best, there was so much that we could have done with that. The fact that he missed weight, I mean, oh my God, God, that was a story. Now, that's that's a bad moment for, for Luque. He didn't, he didn't want to miss weight. That, that was a big mistake, and I don't mean to bring that to your attention. But they put so little emphasis on that that he didn't take any heat for it. He didn't, nobody knows that he missed weight. But nobody knew that he was there. And that was at the Mecca in the media capital of the world for a guy that could have... He was a tenth of a pound of a way from fighting for a world championship in a main event. I just share for you. I think that it's a miss. And now we have Sergey Pavlovich. And all that they told us that he's the backup fighter. That's all that they told us. But that's a lot, isn't it? I mean, we're sitting here wondering what's next. And I implore fighters to be the backup fighter because I saw how well it worked for Kamara Usman, who couldn't get a title shot. Sat in that backup box between Till and Woodley, and all of a sudden, the rest becomes history, becomes legacy, as a matter of fact. I watched how effective it was for Michael Chandler, who did not have a job, who got signed to an organization who was the new guy, who nobody knew who he was, and he went to a different confident on shape, on weight, and sat and did nothing. But I saw what happened. And I saw him go out there and fight for a world championship. And I know he is a top five. And Michael Chandler is probably more like a top three. Biggest stars, biggest draw in the entire sport right now. So, does this mean Sergey Pavlich is your number one contender? No. Uh-uh. Does it mean that Sergey Pavlich might be your number one contender? Oh, you bet your ass it does. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and, and if he might be, then what's going on with Stipe? And, that, and that's the bigger story here. And I would put myself in a spot of number one when it comes for voices and advocates for Stipe. He's been a very good friend to me, a very good person to me. Very, very, very respectful of his wife, who's my pen pal, and how quickly she'll get back to me if I want to talk about the business. I appreciate that. 
I think that he is like a superhero. If my son came to me one day and told me, Dad, I know what I want to be. I want to be Steve Amy. That's awesome. I will get a post. We'll put the poster Steve Amy on his wall, and I will be very proud of my young man. That is how highly I view Stipe. And as highly as I view Stipe, I'm not sure he ever fights again. There is a massive argument that he is retired. And the world isn't talking about it, and I'm not sure he's aware of it. I do not believe that Stipe Miocic is going to fight anywhere less than a world title fight. I would actually fully understand that if his stubbornness put him in that category. He qualified for a world title fight. He should have been in an actual trilogy with Francis Ngannou. Not only should have he had the trilogy with Francis Ngannou, it wasn't really being discussed. John Jones was being discussed. We, we were kind of looking in a different direction than Stipe. And Stipe made some real dedications. He put on 20 pounds. I mean, his life, he was absolutely committed. He just didn't tell anybody. He lived the life. He had the sacrifice. He made the dedication. He got the eye of the tiger on his eye on the ball, but he didn't tell anybody. He kept that to himself. Something happened on December 10th. Something. Stipe versus John Jones, no matter what you guys have heard or who you've heard it from, Stipe versus John Jones was a very real thing. Something happened and got in the way of that. Stipe versus John Jones on March 4th was a very real thing. Something happened and got in the way of that. Stipe would like to fight the winner of Surreal Gone versus John Jones. Surreal Gone and John Jones have both said that the winner would like to face Stipe. But he's not the backup fighter Sergey Pavlich is. If Sergey Pavlich gets that title shot, and as another month and another cycle and another birthday comes and goes and another candle goes up on that board and more and more separation between Stipe and his last fight, which, by the way, resulted in a loss, how do we get him back to a number one contendership? And if we can't get him to a number one contendership, can we get him at all? I would understand if he said, no, I'm owed a world title. I agree with Stipe. But pretty soon, Sergey Pavlich is going to do enough heavy lifting. He's going to put himself in enough positions that he's going to say that I deserve a world title. And guys like you and me, whether we want to admit it or not, are going to have to look at Sergey, look at his argument, look at his resume, look at his past, and we're going to have to say, I agree with you. But we can only choose one. We can only have one. So what happens to the other one? This is a massive deal that they have announced a backup fighter. It's a massive deal that they have a backup fighter. It's a massive, in the right direction, learning lesson that you can't count on the heavyweights. If we have any group of flakes amongst us, any group that we cannot count on or rely on, it's the heavyweight. So good job. They got a backup. His name is Sergey Pavlovich. Does this mean that Sergey is now the number one contender? Maybe. Official predictions, guys. We got Bo, and he is getting ready to make his debut, right? Bo Nichols going to be taking on Jamie Pickett. Now, Smash was always supposed to happen. It was supposed to happen in December. When they missed it, they just took both those guys, found a new date, put it here. So there's something about Bo and something about Pickett that somebody within the UFC specifically wants to see. Let's speculate that more in a moment. You got Alexis Grasso, who's going to be taking on, I call her the queen, the bullet. Valentin Shevchenko, and you know, I can only call her the queen 
when Amanda's not around. Like, if you follow me close enough, you go, well, Chael, you've got two queens because you say that about Amanda. You're right. You're right. It's really difficult to know which one of them is better. So I want to start on the Bo Nickel fight because some, there is something going on here that we haven't been told. Okay. Bo Nickel and Pickett are main card fighter. Are you aware of that? Are you aware of that? This is the same fight that was supposed to take place on December 10th. The December 10th card fell apart. We were told to the fact that we believed that card on December 10th was going to be saved by everybody's favorite fireman, Steve Miocic, taking on John Jones. Now, we were told this after we were promised a main event of a rematch between Glover Teixeira and Yuri Prohaska. Neither of those fights happened to the extent that the UFC itself said Stipe Miocic and John Jones was never even in discussion. Okay. I'm not weighing in one way or the other. I'm sharing with you another part of the detail. I'll tell you who did fight that night. A man named Duplices. And Duplices fought Darren Till. And it was awesome. And it was back and forth. And there was a finish. But there was almost a finish the other way. And there was adversity. And the crowd. And the energy. And the back and forth. And the $50,000 of the night bonus was granted to that fight. So stay with me on that. Duplices did follow through on the night that Nickel and Pickett were supposed to fight. And he did it to the tune of an of-the-night bonus. That doesn't sound like something you would get demoted for doing. Fast forward to present time. Bo Nickel and Pickle are back. They are going on to the main card. Wouldn't you know, Duplices is on this same card, and he is not going to be featured on the pay-per-view. So a more well-known name with a much better ranking coming off a fight of the night got demoted to the undercard so we could get on with Pickett versus Nickel. I don't have a point here. By the way, if you're sitting here and if y'all say, God, Chael's right. Wow. Good, good, because I am. But if you're sitting there going, where is he going with this? I, I guess nowhere. I didn't have an overly arching point. I just noticed because Duplices pointed it out. Everything I just said to you, I just ripped off from Duplices. He did an interview. He said, man, I don't really understand this. He said a really hard fight with Darren Till. Odds makers didn't think that I could do it. They thought they were going to cut Till. Our fight looked so good. Not only did they not cut Till, they bonused Till. Now there's a rumor coming out that they cut Till, but Dana's coming over the top of that saying that rumor's wrong. He's still on the roster. The whole thing's a mess, and I'm jerking the curtain. For two guys that not only haven't fought, were offered a chance to fight on the same night that I was, I showed up for work and they didn't. But they are getting the more recognizable spot. I thought it was a fair point by Duplices. It's fair enough that I came and made a piece about it, wanted to put him over, wanted to shine him up, wanted to say his name to you guys over and over and over again. And what is it about Nickel versus Pickett? And I get what it is about Nickel. Nickel, for a moment... Now, Nickel, Nickel made a mistake. He's a young guy. You get to make mistakes. You get to make lots of mistakes. But he made one in the last two months. Bo Nickel was headline for headline. Chatter for chatter, talk for talk, question for question, dead locked equal with Hosmet Chemayev going in 
to the December card, which he ended up pulling out of. Coming out of the announcement of that injury, Bonicle and headlines and chatter and narrative is equal to anyone else who's making a debut. And it's it's really hard. It's a hard game to keep that up. It's a hard game to stay a focal point. It's a hard game when you're on the shelf. Man, that's a hard game for anybody. It's one that Henry Cejudo puts a lot of effort into that Conor McGregor understands very well that John Jones and Anderson Silva have struggled with. Right? I mean, it, it can happen to anybody. But there's something about Pickett. And when I do look at that fight, I, I do Pickett can get down. Pickett can't, can't grind with him. Pickett can't out-endurance him. Pickett can't out-athlete him. But Pickett could out-brawl him, sure. Pickett could come out, if he comes out nervous like most guys that are that they're sizable, I mean, he's, he's a 7-1 to one underdog. Most guys that are sizable underdogs, call it a deer in the headlights, their eyes get real big and they just freeze out what to do. And other guys are so scared, they're coming at you, boy, they're coming under and they're coming over and they're coming straight and you're changing elevation and you're trying to close the distance. Are you going to get a collar hide in a dirty box or are you going to get to his hips and do a double leg and which one is more exciting? I got to look good because I'm on TV and boom, all of a sudden you're on the canvas and you're asleep. Happens all the time. Just happened to as equally skilled of a wrestler on the other side of the tracks in Bellator named Patrick Downey. It's exactly what happened. In terms of 7-1 to spread against the opponent who wasn't supposed to have the skills, wasn't supposed to be able to muster the ability to go with him, and he ends up stopping him. I'm just sharing with you. Pickett versus Nickel. For me, is 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 very clear. Uh, it's very, very clear. Guys, I'm sorry. I can't see. I can't services. see because I don't have my glasses, and now my phone is wanting to call 911, which... I think I stopped it from doing. Here's the bottom line. I am going to take Nickel. I do think he's prepared for the big time. I don't think he wanted to pull out on the 10th of December. I don't think he wants to pull out this time. I don't think he overly cares who his opponent is. And I, I think the fact that his opponent happens to be a 6 or 7 to 1 dog is the wrong move. But guys, 6 or 7 to 1 spread against Nickel. I think the guy should be 10 or 11 against Nickel. And it's no knock on Pickett. Nickel's better than you think he is. They don't give those championships out. He's got three of them on his mantle. They don't give you 23 world titles out. He's got a gold one. And I will tell you the same thing goes for the bullet. The bullet has had one opponent ever that I saw that I thought, wow, that girl is tough. It was a Brazilian girl. She had a Gracie in her corner. The most I can tell you about her. She went radio silent after the fight. My understanding is she had a match that so was going to be like the match to get her back to that match with the bullet. She lost the match. I don't, I don't know. I don't know the division. I don't know who the bullet opponent is. I watched the bullet's interviews. I still don't know who her opponent is. I know that the bullet's very good. You want a prediction? Taking Bo Nickel. I'm taking Shipchenko. Official prediction, John Jones versus Surreal Gone. Now, full disclosure over here, right, guys? I am really bad at making predictions. I am so bad at predictions that the kids online, meaning you, have renamed my prediction the curse. The Chael curse. Now, I'm aware of that. And I'm hoping that you're right. 
I want you to be right. I want my long-standing predictions to backfire. That's how much I want against John Jones. Now, that's personal, of course. But I disclose that. That's fully personal. That a guy who sat out three years could return to a weight class he has never even been licensed in, weighing an amount that he is refusing to reveal to us. He's going to make us see it with our own eyes between 9 and 11 a.m. on Friday morning during the official weigh-ins. He's currently a betting favorite against a very tough opponent in a weight class that he's never competed. I mean, these are my arguments against John Jones. Those are pretty loose. In all fairness, just so you hear me, if I was to come out and I was to try to bury John Jones and I was to attempt to make a meaningful case, it wouldn't be done the way I just did. I would need other things to be meaningful. I would need an injury report within his camp. I would need for him to be fighting a common opponent. And I could talk about what John has not done in the interim. And I could talk about the great things that the common opponent did in between time. I could talk about rumors of former sparring sessions between the twos. I could talk about breakups of the camp and the head coach jumping ship and now being in the opposing corner. I had none of those things. I had none of them already used them. I have nothing but circumstantial, personalized, hope against hope that the most dynamic and talented fighter of all time lost his skills lost his courage, lost his luster somewhere over the last 36 months of sitting at Albuquerque doing nothing. But I don't have evidence of it. I don't have proof of it. I am a guy that has worked on both sides of this coin, and the coin I'm talking about is the lose weight coin and the gain weight coin. And that's a rare guy. All of you have probably thought, I've tried to lose weight before. i I, I, I heard all about intermittent fasting. I even read the book, The Wheat Belly. I understand, but how many of you actually did a diet? And if you did do a diet, if you stuck to that, you really stuck to it, 30 days, you really stuck to that diet. How many of you had to? See, that's, that's a rare, real, really rare thing in life, that anybody would have to stick to a diet. Our industry, our field, is the only one that I'm aware of where they weigh you in before they let you go to work. If you weigh more than they want you to weigh, they will fine you. Could you imagine that in any other walk of life, the ACLU would put a class action lawsuit so fast against whatever company told you that you must weigh a certain thing to be able to stay employed. And if you don't, we're going to fine you. So when I tell you that this is a rare thing, I do not say that to exaggerate. It is the only thing in the world that I'm aware of where what you weigh is very relevant to whether or not you get to go to work, make money, and use that to feed and support your family. I lived through having to make weight from the time I was nine years old in my first wrestling tournaments. But when I got a little bit older, they changed the weight classes. And I was a 177-pounder. 
And the guys that I looked up to just happened to weigh 177 pounds. And therefore, someday I'm going to be 177 pounds, just like Les Gutchess weighs. Not 167 like Marcus Molokai weighs. That's too small. I'm going to be 177. Well, they changed 187, 177 to 185. So now I got to pass 77 to try to get to 85. Once I get to 85, that ceases from existing and they make it 197 pounds. So my point was I just didn't weigh it. I lived the life of waking up early and drinking the energy drinks, getting the workout in, coming back to breakfast. Potatoes covered in gravy, steaks, chicken fried every time. And that was just to get you to the, the 10 o'clock snack that then led you into the lunch hour. It was extremely painful, not just discomforting. It was uncomforting to go to bed dehydrated, to live like that for a week. It was, it was great pains to cut weight. But when I was going the other way and I was trying to gain weight, my locker would be full of books and papers and, and, and glue and pencils and right, whatever, whatever goes into a locker. And I would have a six pack of Insure at all times. Insure is largely marketed to senior citizens to make sure that they get their daily vitamins. Here, just shake this up and drink one of these. Okay, great. But I had six in my locker every single day. Every single day, one of the coaches went to my locker, put six in, made sure I drank the six the day before. I will just share for you, it's very hard to do. So John Jones has made a great dedication into doing this. What does it mean? There is a number of human rules out there that have not applied to John Jones. That is exactly what being the youngest champion of all time represents. John could do something that no other man could do. Which is where him sitting out for three months gaining weight in a terrible, uncomfortable process, being kicked out of his home gym by Wink and John, being dropped from his managers publicly by Malky, getting picked up by Richard Schaefer, who did one hell of a job back in the boxing day, but tried to revisit a model that disappeared three years ago and get it inked today, all the while keeping his head on straight. He knows he's got Surreal gone waiting for him. And before he knew it was surreal gone, he had accepted that it was going to be Stipe Miocic. And before it was Stipe Miocic, he assumed it was going to be Francis Ngannou. And John Jones did not blink. And that's the part of the story if you're in my shoes. You're in my shoes and you're a detractor. You're a hater. You're not a well-wisher. Part of the story that stings is the part of the story where John Jones, with no training and no experience in the weight class, accepted the biggest, most frightening man, that's what Francis Ngannou is, he accepted the most well-rounded and most successful heavyweight ever, that's what Stipe Miocic represents, and he accepted the Dutch kickboxer who two fights ago had a world title belt around his shoulder. He accepted all three of them in a three-month period, and he never blinked once. And that is very intimidating. It's what makes it hard to hate, because there's a side that you must appreciate. But through appreciation, through hate, through what's obvious, through what's less clear, through what's inside knowledge, through what I had to investigate to get, I still bring for you that John Jones is going to come in second because no man can take three years off. And as much as surreal gone is not who I'd be put in front of him. As aware as I am that there's one heavyweight in the top 25 who's never had a wrestling match and it's surreal gone. There's one heavyweight 
in the top 25 who does not have a black belt in jiu-jitsu and it's surreal gone and there's one heavyweight that you could find for this job who's one in one in his last two and his name is surreal gone as much as i do admit for you that's not a very difficult opponent it's still enough and there's still no skills there in any fashion not with the feet not with the knees not with the hands not with the elbows not with the submissions and not with the takedowns that John Jones hasn't seen, dealt with, and persevered against at least 10 times in the past. That part hurts. But my prediction stands. Jones versus Surreal. I'm putting the curse on Jones. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And guys, I got great news. On Sunday, I'm going to release a special UFC 285 reaction episode. John Jones is finally back, and Uncle Chill will be here to give you all an instant reaction, the one that you need. That's coming on Sunday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. <laughs>